Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Again, as we've been doing for a while, on Wednesday nights we're studying through the Bible and we're in the book of Psalms. Looking forward to getting back into that this Wednesday night and I would invite you all to come to that. On Sunday mornings we're crawling through the book of Galatians. There's just so much good stuff in here. Where we left off last week... As Paul is developing his argument to the Galatian Christians that there's no way in the world that you add law to grace. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus did everything that we need. He died and rose from the dead, took our sins upon himself, and you're covered. And if you add to that a man-made construction of artificial rules, if you add to that an obligation or a necessity to return to the Old Testament law in some way, it waters down the good news. It robs the gospel of its power. And as he is making that argument and reminding them so clearly of how important it is that we just receive what God wants to do for us, that we understand it's not what we do, there's not something we can do. No matter how good we are, it doesn't make God love us more. No matter how bad we are, it doesn't make God love us less. Because the only real righteousness is the righteousness that he gives us because of his death on the cross. Now, as he was in the middle of that discussion, he lets them know about a run-in he had with Peter. Peter, who was there, had come from Jerusalem, was up in Antioch, and Peter had known that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, it nullified the need to follow the law anymore. So Peter, with the Gentiles up there in Galatia, in Antioch, was, was uh, you know, very openly eating non-kosher food and living a life of freedom to which God had called all of us since the gospel. But then when a group of legalistic Jews had come up from Jerusalem, Peter became a hypocrite. And he pushed himself away from the Gentiles, separated himself from them, started hanging out with the Jews and eating Jewish and acting Jewish again. The problem is some of the other Jewish Christians who had been up there and who had been set free by the gospel followed his example, and Paul said even Barnabas did. And so as Paul confronted Peter, we see a good example of how sometimes we just need to speak up. To let someone know that what they're doing is hypocritical. To say, hey, you're being a phony. And if necessary, sometimes there's a place for doing it even with someone publicly. And and that's what he does here with Peter. Begins to develop the idea to Peter personally of why this is such a big deal. Of why this is so serious. And so as he he talked about... uh, In verse 14, he said, When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? He said, You're messing up the simplicity of the gospel. As we saw last week, you're you're doing something that's causing people to not understand the nature of the gospel. Your hypocrisy is causing them to lose out on that which is their very hope. And we talked about how as we build up 
earthly traditions, as we find ourselves worrying about what people think, being afraid of the wrong people, trying to be as religious as we can be so that those holier-than-thou people won't judge us, we do the same thing. We confuse others. We make them think that, well, I guess there must have been a catch. It sounded too good to be true. Really, all you have to do is receive from God? That's it? We send this secret message beneath the surface that says, yeah, yeah, we're free, but of course, you also should do this and this and this, and you need to do that and that and that, and and we impose some sort of artificial standard on them instead of allowing God to do that work that he wants to do in their lives. As he continues addressing Peter here, though, we'll look at a few more verses, beginning with verse 15. Paul says to Peter, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not, no way. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, somebody who steps across the line. This is a difficult passage, and I haven't realized how difficult it is until I read all the many, many commentaries on the passage, and especially verse 17. I, I honestly didn't have a satisfactory explanation from anyone as to what it meant, so I just had to get it from the Lord, and so I'll tell you what it means. But um, no one else knows except us, so keep it under your hat. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a complicated thing. What, you know, in particular, verse 17, if we're trying to be justified by Christ, we're also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. What does that mean? Well, we need to back up a little bit to understand for a moment what the law really is and what its role was. There's a misconception that almost everyone has in thinking about the law. The idea is that somehow when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God needed to give them a rule book by which they could live their lives. Because the thought is everyone needs rules. Just tell me what the rules are and I'll follow them. And so God gave them this long and involved initially Ten Commandments, a moral code that was really good and helpful, but nothing that was new to them. But okay, here are some good solid rules. Much as you do in a school class at the first day of school. Okay, there are certain rules that we have. And then in order to flesh that out and cause it to work and be practical, all of the rest of the law, all of the ceremonies, all of the dietary restrictions and everything, we suppose it was just here's the way God wants you to live. Here's the manual for life. And then somewhere along the way, we believe that somebody messed up. They deviated from the rules, and that's what sent them into a tailspin as a nation. That would be nice and neat and understandable if that were the case. But the truth is, we know from the Scripture, especially from all the teachings in the New Testament, but many even in the Old, 
That wasn't what the law was about. It wasn't guidelines by which to live. It wasn't an owner's manual that you take out and it tells you what to do in every situation. The Bible's very clear, the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to lay down some standards that were impossible to keep. You think, wow, why would he do that? Well, the truth is, we all, even if we make up our own rules, we can't keep them. But here the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. By design, they were going to be entering the promised land in just a few days. They took a 40-year detour. But for the children of Israel, these people who had lived as slaves knew nothing about warfare. How were they going to go conquer a land that God had promised to them? How could they possibly move ahead with all the challenges that they had? The only way they could do it is if they depended utterly and completely on God. And so, God had to give them a crash course in recognition of the fact that they couldn't do that. And I believe that for all of us, the most important thing for us to understand in life is that we can't do it. We can't live it right. We can't do the right things. We can't find our own satisfaction and fulfillment. Life is too much of a challenge for us to be lived alone. And when we understand that, that's the first step toward turning to God and depending on Him. And so here, you know, it, it's... To the Jews, it was a special situation because times were desperate. And God had to give them a crash course to let them know, you need me. And if you were going to say one thing that the law was supposed to accomplish, it was that the people would go, I need God. I can't do this. When the law was given, as they said, yep, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Eh, wrong answer. You can't do all that the Lord has said. And he didn't even tell it to you, so you would. God wasn't being overly optimistic and thinking, here you go, here's some rules, why don't you obey them? But God was leading them to the awareness and the understanding that they just couldn't do it on their own. And they should have figured it out, but it took them a long, long time to ever figure that out. They only understood it in stages, really, until the Messiah himself came, was that awareness of, woe is me in the presence of God. Most, oh, there were godly people along the way who had a great concept of what they weren't. But on the whole, the people were very optimistic about the law, continued to think that they could do it. Every time they would get messed up and they would repent, they thought, okay, now we're gonna obey the law. Still not learning the lesson. The lesson of the law is that, whoa, I can't do this. I'm frail. I, I need God. And that which was designed to push them into the arms of God caused them instead to have this ridiculous, optimistic overconfidence in their own ability to do what God told them to do. And why? Because as they read the law, they go, yeah, this is good stuff. Of course, we ought to do this. We should do it. And we're going to do it. Missed the point. Missed out on what it was supposed to do. Paul, and someday when we're in Romans, we'll, we'll discover all that Paul says much more than this about the law. And even as we move on in Galatians, we're going to see that the law was a tutor. It was a schoolmaster. It was, it was elementary lessons to teach us that we need God. And as such, it was a good thing. 
Because it's good for you to discover that you need God. It's good for you to discover that you can't do it on your own. But understanding that that's what the law is, it was something to show you what you can't do. Now let's look again. And in verse 15, again, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, he goes, hey, we had the law. This was something that we were born into. We're not like these guys that don't know anything about the law, who have never really experienced all the lessons that we've experienced. They've never participated in the ceremonies that would foretell the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They don't understand the nature of sacrifice, that that the sacrifice of animals was a picture of the lamb who would one day be slain for our sins, that, that spotless one, that Savior. With these Gentiles, they haven't been through the past. Passover. They didn't sprinkle blood on the doorpost. They didn't see all of those images. So he goes, but we did. So we have an advantage. But he says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So now he's saying, look, we took it a step further. And we realized because of the law that we can't be justified by the law. It can't happen. But we came to know Jesus Christ and understood he can do it for us. He can declare us righteous is what justification means. And so we're justified, not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We trusted in him for it. Even we, us Jews here, we've believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ. He says it over and over again. And not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He's saying, from our perspective, we went through what the law was supposed to take you through. We followed it. Over in Philippians, Paul says, hey, I was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As far as the law, I did it. I was blameless. And now he's talking to Peter and going, look, me and you. The truth is, Paul was probably much more righteous and much more aware of the law than a fisherman like Peter. But he's being gracious and he says, look... We went after the law. We were under the law. We are Jews. We inherited it. Our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents told us the stories of the Exodus and explained to us the significance of sacrifice. And we saw all of that. And not only did we realize that didn't fix us, but when we saw Jesus Christ, we understood he is the culmination, the unfolding of everything that the law was telling us we needed. It was right there in him. And he goes on to say, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, he said, so if we're saying now, okay, the law couldn't justify us. By the way, Paul says this again, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified over in Romans chapter 3. Right before he said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23, up in verse 20, he says, let me make it clear. You can't be justified by the law. No one is. Now, you might go, but wait a minute. How about Jesus? Didn't he follow the law? Sure, he did. He's the only one who ever did. But the truth is, he couldn't be justified by it either because he didn't need to be. There was, it didn't apply to him in that way. But now he says, on the basis of that, we're trying to be justified by Christ. In other words, we took that step of the law We went through boot camp and we moved forward into something greater and we realized what all that training was about. And here we are, we're justified. And then he says, but what if if we're justified by Christ and then we ourselves also are found sinners? Now, 
to be found sinners, that's what the law was about. The law was to establish for you that you're a sinner, that you've come short, that you've failed. A tough lesson for a very righteous Jew to learn. It took Paul a long time and actually seeing Jesus from heaven where ultimately he realized, oh man. It took Jesus himself addressing Paul from the throne of God and saying, hey, you're persecuting me. You're violating who I am. For Paul to understand, oh boy, I didn't know. I couldn't have, couldn't have seen it coming. So since the law was to designate that you're a sinner, now what Paul is saying to Peter is, okay, we move past the law and we walk into an awareness of what Jesus Christ has done for us and he justifies us. Now he says, do we really need to go back under the law and therefore become sinners all over again? If God has declared us to be righteous, if he has taken care of our sins, he's saying, so is this what the gospel is all about? That we need to once again remind ourselves and emphasize the fact that we're condemned? And he says, if that's the case, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? In other words, you're walking along under the law going, oh man, I feel so defeated. I'm falling short every day. I'm not measuring up. Time to kill another lamb. Time to kill another dove. Time to kill another goat. I, this isn't working so well. And then it's declared to you, now you got the point. Now here's the next step. Receive forgiveness. There's one who will make a sacrifice once for all. And you can step into that freedom. You can step into that relationship that God wants you to have. And so you go, Jesus, here I am. I'm presenting myself to you. I need a fresh start. And he goes, so what's Jesus going to do? Say, hey, it's good to see you. Now, let me condemn you some more. Now let me take you back under the law so that you can feel the way you felt before you came to know that I died for you. So is that the ministry of Jesus? Is it a ministry of sin still? Is he still doing what was done by the law, what he accomplished? It's, there's not a point to it anymore. And Paul's answer to this rhetorical question is, in Greek, it's meganoita. Some, it's such a strong, there's like the King James Version translates it, God forbid, but I don't like that translation just because it doesn't really say God. It's saying, may it never be. But it's the strongest expression of there in any way perish the thought, this is disgusting, that's nuts, that's crazy. In other words, what Paul is saying to Peter is, so we came through that death, we came through that condemnation, and now we open the door, and here we are in the light of Jesus Christ, so now is he going to go, okay, let's go back through the door, glad to see you, now let's put yourself under that law again. He said, no way, that's not going to happen. He says, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, that which I turned my back on, I go, this isn't cutting it. The law is not making me righteous. The law isn't working except just to let me know what doesn't work. And so he says, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. I'm still stuck. I'm still 
in sin, really, because I'm constantly aware of my failure. If that's what I do, if I try to combine the law and I try to take it and mix it in somehow with the gospel, again, going back to chapter one, it's not good news anymore if you do that. And so basically, he's developing for Peter, and he continues to uh, explain this in the next few verses and really in the rest of the book, but we'll see those last three verses of chapter two next week. But are you following what's going on? He's going, okay, we're Jews. We were under the law. It made us feel terrible. It condemned us. It didn't really make us righteous. Then we see the Messiah. We discovered the Christ, as he says. He calls him Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus. And he says, when that happened, he declared, I took care of it. I've paid the price. You are no longer in trouble. You're no longer a failure. I can lead you into the light. And he goes, so once he leads us into the light, do we really want to go back? Do we really want to take ourselves back into that place of condemnation? Do we really want to relive those things out of which we should have graduated by now? Hey, we're all thankful for that we made it through junior high school. Junior high school for most people is the hardest time of life, the most miserable time of life. I'm glad it's over. I wouldn't want to go back. At this stage of my life, to go back, oh, maybe teaching junior high, but, but to go back and, and be a junior high student and have people making fun of me the way junior hires do, and having all that insecurity, and going through puberty again, and you know, having my face break out. And all, it's like, no thanks. I mean, I'm glad I went through it. I can understand it, but I don't want to go back there. And in the same way, Paul is telling Peter, do you really want to go backwards? Because that's what you're doing if you continue to try to live this facade, this hypocritical sort of appearance to go, look how good I am. Because ultimately, that's the law, that's where it led. Realizing you can't make it and you better fake it. And that's really, that's, what, that's the best it could offer. And that's why people under the law either were completely devastated or they pretended that they were righteous. Those are the only two choices. And today it's the same thing with legalism. It's, you're not going to make yourself really righteous. If you try to do it, you'll find out that you can't do it. So there are two choices. Either allow God to do it for you or just fake it. And people who live under the law today, people who construct a man-made understanding of the Christian life today, they're faking it. They're not righteous. Those people that point their finger at you, that judge you, that make you feel so terrible, that make you feel so judged and so condemned, I have news for you. They're faking it. That's the only kind of righteousness we can muster. How do you tell the difference? Certainly, God wants to change us, but he wants to do it from within, and he wants to be the one to do it. And he doesn't call us to change ourselves. And he doesn't, amazingly, condemn us. You go, well, boy, I don't know. He condemns me a lot of times. No, he doesn't. People might. You might condemn yourself. He doesn't do it. How do I know that? Hey, the simplest, the, one of the first Bible verses that you probably ever learned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That gift of God. But what comes next? 
For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, Jesus at that point was talking to Nicodemus, a religious leader, a ruler of the Jews. He understood condemnation. He knew what the law did. And as a result, that's why he had come to Jesus by night and said, there's got to be something more. Isn't there something? How can I connect with God? And Jesus began to explain to him about being born again. And it's in that context that he says, hey, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He said, if, if you don't believe in him, you're already condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. See, Jesus came to save the world, to love the world, to accept all of us. And condemnation, it comes from people who haven't figured out the lesson of the law, the fact that we're free, that Jesus paid it all. And you can very easily tell what kind of voice is speaking to you spiritually. Whatever is telling you that you are condemned, whatever is causing you to feel defeated, it's not God if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. Because your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Not an issue anymore. Oh, you still sin? Of course. John said in 1 John chapter 1, if we say we don't sin, we're fooling ourselves. But the gospel means that we don't have to fool ourselves or each other anymore. Because yes, we sin. But it's not an issue. Because it's been paid for by Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a scary teaching. What do we want to do? emotionally, psychologically, what we want to take from that is to go, oh, wait a minute. So you mean you just do whatever you want? Yeah. No, that doesn't sound right. If you tell people that, they're going to leave church and go hit a bar on the way home. They're going to go ahead and go shoot their boss on Monday morning. It's like, oh, it's okay. Sounds good. My boss is putting me under condemnation. He's at it. And I'm going to say, my pastor told me it's okay. Uh, it's not okay. But <laughs> see, that's what we think will happen. But the truth is, all of that condemnation, all of that guilt, all of that pounding that you've endured all your life of people trying to tell you what to do, has it really worked? Has it, has it really given you the satisfaction that you feel like life is designed to give us? Has it worked? And if it hasn't, then why do you want to continue to live there? The glorious truth is once you let go and once you receive what God wants to give you and once you understand what he has done for you, that that condemnation is in the past and that you can move forward in relationship with him, you won't be out there sinning all the time. You're not going to want to take advantage of it. What happens actually for the first time in your life, you don't even want to do that stuff. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process of discovery. See, salvation isn't just a process. It isn't just a, an event. Once I was lost, now I'm saved. There, I'm done. That's not it at all. It's a way of life. It's following after Jesus Christ. It is a process. It's moving forward with him. And as we do that, walking in his grace, living in the light of the gospel, then he begins to fulfill within our lives those standards that the law never could fulfill. And he begins to make us the people that we always wanted to be. We just couldn't do it.
And I'll tell you what, if you believe that somehow you can clean up your own act, you're fooling yourself. As husbands and wives, if, if you really believe that you can just discipline yourself and be that husband or be that wife that you really want to be, uh, there's a disappointment ahead because you can't do it. You'll start to try. You'll look at a rule book. You'll understand some things that you aren't doing that you need to do, and, you'll, and then you'll be condemned. And then you'll feel so defeated because you can't even follow the simple rules. And then you just give up and you take it out on your spouse because it can't be my problem. I tried to do what they told me to do, and they're still a jerk. It's got to be their problem. Instead, to allow God to just take our sins, to allow Jesus Christ through the gospel to say, you know, what you're doing, hey, I forgive you, and I love you. And you show me someone who's walking in sin. You show me someone who is being defeated constantly, and I will show you someone who doesn't really understand the gospel because the gratitude that comes forth when I realize I'm free. I don't have to do it just because. I don't have to force myself and gut it out and live that life that I hate, but I'm going to be good no matter what. You're freed from that, and you go, I am, I am free. I don't have to do anything. God looks at me. Jesus has declared me righteous on the basis of his righteousness. He has given me his righteousness. He took upon himself my sin. Oh, man, there's a freedom there and just a, a glorious truth that I don't think we'll ever get over it for all of eternity, the truth of the gospel. Now, you might say, okay, so if I was a Jew who had been under the law, this would make sense. But what does this say to me as a Gentile, as somebody who this is the first time I've heard anyone talking about the law and what it's all about? Well, here's the thing. Remember I said when the Jews left Egypt... They crossed the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness there at Mount Sinai. It was with the notion that very quickly they would be heading into the promised land. God had big plans for them. Their rebellion caused them to take a little detour, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But at the time the law was given, the plan was, we're moving forward. So... God had to give them that law so that very quickly they would get a crash course in what failures they are, in what they can't do, in how much they need God, because they couldn't possibly cross the Jordan River and go and conquer places like Jericho if they didn't know that they needed God. Now, God continued to teach them this, but the law was a crash course in this. But all the law did as a crash course is what life teaches all of us over the long haul. The truth is, God doesn't deal with the Jews under the law much different than he deals with us as Gentiles. Because life will eventually teach you that you can't do it. Life will eventually teach you that you need to be utterly dependent on God. And that's what life before Jesus Christ is about. If there was a point to what you did all those years before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God's point of it was the same point that he was trying to make to the, to the Jewish people out there in, in the desert, in the wilderness. He was trying to let you know you can't do it. Now, some people are better than others, and as a result, it takes some of us longer than others to recognize our own frailty and our own inability. 
And so we come up with ways in which we can get ahead. We're looking for happiness. We know that we were designed for freedom. There's something inside us that says, I'm trapped and I, and I, and I need freedom. I'm not feeling happy and fulfilled. There's something missing in my life. Because there will always be something missing in our lives until we come into a relationship with God. Well, for you, the law might be success. You might decide that for the next 40 years, I'm going to focus on getting as much stuff as I can. That might be your path. And you just know, as soon as I reach the top, as soon as I have this many dollars in my bank account adjusted for inflation, then I'll be okay. For other people, it might just be thrills. I just need to stay excited. That's what's going to fulfill me. For other people, it might be intimacy and family. You know, once I have that house with the picket fence and all the kids running around and I can sit there rocking on the porch, then, yeah, then I'm going to be happy. For other people, it might be other things. It might be fame or attention. It might be a feeling of accomplishment in some artistic endeavor or whatever. But if you think about it, when you decided and started to figure out, okay, what is going to define success for me? What do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to do with my life? We all had theories. We all had ideas. God has a way of putting roadblocks in front of some of them. And so many of us had to endure the realization, I'm never going to achieve what I thought I would. It's, it breaks down. It doesn't work. And it's gracious indeed. Oh, many people who wanted to be a professional athlete, and then they have a, a career-ending injury, and they believe, oh, this is the worst thing that could have happened. Not necessarily. Because it could be that if you became a professional athlete and you were very successful, you wouldn't have had to trust God or depend on Him. You would have been doing what you set out to do. Oh, it's a curse indeed. If you are allowed to do everything that you want to do, if you are given the opportunity to achieve everything you ever dreamed of, that's a curse. It's a horrible thing to live with because all that does is it's going to take you a long time before you realize you need God. It's going to take a long time before you realize that in and of yourself you're a failure. You can't do anything right. So it's a blessing to fail, really, because it gets you to a point sooner where you realize this doesn't work, and I can't do this. But because of hypocrisy, most people are acting like they're fine. Most people are pretending like, yep, it just doesn't get any better than this. I'm living the good life. It's Miller time. And as a result, we're going, hmm, they're acting fine. They must be fine. There must be something wrong with me. I better start acting fine too. I heard a, one of these name it and claim it evangelists one time who said, if you want to be rich, you need to act like a rich person. And he said, rich people always take two vacations a year, one in the summer, one in the winter. So the first thing you do, start taking two vacations. Oh man, if you listen to him, you try to take a second vacation, you're going to be unemployed. That doesn't work. You don't act like something in order to make it happen to you. The truth is, going into that acting thing is the worst thing that you could do. The worst response to failure. When you fail at something, pretend like you didn't want it anyway. 
like I used to do. If I ask a girl out and she would say no, I would say, that's okay, you're my third choice anyway. I, you just, you have to get something back, you know, you got to take a, a shot at someone. You're fired. No, I'm not, I quit. It's that idea of just like, act like it's okay, act like it doesn't hurt, act like I'm still a failure. You're walking along and you trip over nothing, look back and act like you're going to sue somebody because there must be a hole in the pavement. And it's like, oh, who fixed that? It just, it just happened. That's the way we cope with life when we don't realize that there's a God who loves us. When we don't realize the good news that it's okay when we fail because Jesus Christ already succeeded for us in the only thing that matters And you don't have to try so hard. And you don't have to keep pretending. And you don't have to live a lie. And you don't need to live under the power of that condemnation that the world so often wants to heap on us. Either self-condemnation or condemnation from others. Hey, you're 50, 60 years old. Quit worrying about what your parents think about you. Quit living like you're still trying to please them somehow. And why is it that whatever you do, it's just not quite enough? Oh, don't worry, they brag, your parents brag about you to their friends, but they won't let you know that you've really arrived because somehow they have this feeling that they have made you successful by them making you feel so inadequate. And that's not every parent, certainly not my mom. (laughs) Gets the tapes. Um, But (laughs) that's the path that we live. It's like, okay, life is beating me up. It's supposed to. It's designed that way. Learn the lesson of life, the lesson of the law. I can't do it. I can't make it. I can't please everyone. I I can't succeed on my own with my own strength. It'll take me further, but it's just going to wear me out more. Give up sooner. Come to understand Jesus Christ, he's done it all. Oh man, there's that good news that that cuts us, that sets us free, that allows us to understand what it means. Now, if you've come to Jesus Christ, you've done that. You've been there. You've gone through that. Think about what you were like before you accepted Jesus Christ. Or if you accepted him very young, think about what you would have become had he not intervened. What would your life be? Was it really great? Did you like feeling like a failure? Because... When you came to Jesus, it was out of understanding that you're a failure. Well, do you want to go back to that? Is is that the message of the gospel ultimately? Here I am, I've lived my life, I've failed at everything, I've fallen on my face, I feel so inadequate, I feel so condemned, I feel like, man, everything I do is wrong, Jesus, please help me. And he goes, man, I've been waiting for you. And he goes, come on, I'll do it for you. It's okay, it doesn't matter anymore, you're okay. And then does Jesus go, now, come with me, and let's go back, and I'll let you feel more condemnation than you ever felt before. You've been beat up by the world, now let me beat you up. You know, I'll make you feel bad, but it'll be a different bad. You used to feel bad because you woke up with a hangover, now you'll feel bad because you didn't sign up to teach Sunday school. I'll show you. Is that what Christianity is about? Oh, too many people, too many hustlers know how to use that. See, someone who has been abused, in some weird way, they become addicted to that abuse. To them, that's attention. And so they expect it to happen. 
That's why so often those who are abused as children end up marrying someone who's abusive. Because they've set themselves up. And I've seen women who've married three or four people, men too, who have married several people that beat them up. And they're all the same. They keep dumping one, getting another one, and it's the same deal. Because there's something about that that's nostalgic to us on some level. I, I don't profess to understand it completely. But as a result, they're sitting ducks for people who want to condemn them. And, you know, there are as many sadistic preachers as there are masochistic congregations. And, and, and preachers know this. If you get up here and beat people up, oh, some people are just going to run away for sure. But a lot more people who have been abused, who are victims, are going to flood in the doors. It's one way to build a church. Man, I go there and I just feel like I'm shredded. Some people come to me and they think that's a compliment to me. Boy, I'll tell you, Dave, you just ripped me to shreds today. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> but may it never be. Meganoita. No way. No, that's not what it's supposed to be. Jesus doesn't say, you know what? You've been feeling really bad. Now, come to me and I'll make you feel bad about a whole bunch of different stuff. No. That's going back to what led you to him in the first place. And he doesn't do that. And so, for a Jew to return to the law, it would be like, hey, give me some more. Go ahead, knock me around some more. I'm used to it. It's what feels normal to me. Go back to the law. No, if the law did its job, get rid of it. Leave that burden. Leave that negativity. Leave that condemnation. There is therefore now, Paul tells us in Romans, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. If you're under condemnation, it's coming from something other than him. Unless you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then you should feel condemned. If you've never entered into a relationship with him, and you're listening to this and going, boy, that would be nice. You know, maybe I'm not condemned. And you talk yourself into thinking, hmm, I'm free. But you don't accept Jesus Christ. You don't allow him to do the work in your life. Then all this is is a motivational pep talk. And you're going to go out the doors and you're still going to find out that life is going to fail you. If you're looking for the same things you've been looking for. But the message of Jesus Christ is, he says, come to me. If you're weary and if you're heavy laden, come to me, I'll give you rest. I want to do that for you. That's good news indeed. If life has been miserable so far, that's okay. It's what it's supposed to be. To bring you to the point where you realize you need someone outside yourself. And all you need to do is to accept Jesus Christ. Give your life to him and he'll set you free for real. And he's not going to set you free so that you get beat up over a bunch of new things. It's not like before you felt bad about one thing, not satisfied, and you, know, you were so miserable in your relationships that you tried to drown it in drugs and drinking and other things. And so now you come to Jesus and he goes, okay, I'll, you know, now you'll have a relationship, but this relationship is going to be, you can't do this and this and this. And you're like, wow, what did I do? I just moved from one condemnation to another. No, when you come to him, he sets you free. But what about people who have already come to him? And we are still feeling like we're under the law. We're still feeling condemned. We're still feeling like, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I hear that from people all the time. And what it tells me is, 
hey, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what it is to be set free. And I understand why that's hard because there are so many people and we do it to ourselves and we do it to each other and we turn the freedom that's in Christ into another form of law. And we say now, Jesus is a minister of sin. Oh, Jesus is going to let you know what a sinner you are. Hey, we've been there. We've done that. Don't go back to that. Don't turn back into that lifestyle. Now, the same thing goes for if you just decide to go back to the other things with which you tried to satisfy your life before you came to Jesus. Okay, now I'm a Christian. Now it's going to feel really good to try to get to the top. Now it's going to be really fun to see what kind of relationships I can scam. Now it's going to be awesome. I can do any sin I want and feel free and forgiven. Now, when you do that, you're going back to those things that were designed to let you realize you're a failure. And if you do that, it won't be Jesus leading you back there. Don't go backwards. Don't go back into that old lifestyle, those old values. Don't go back into that place of condemnation and of losing. If you do that, that's not Jesus leading you there. May it never be. No way. Don't trade what he has given you by the cross for what you used to have. Don't try to combine the two elements. Start fresh with him. And live by what he tells you. You're not under bondage. You're, congratulations, man, you've graduated from eighth grade. Now move on. Get past it. Oh, I think of some of the things that were so valuable to me when I was young. And now I think, I've, it wouldn't matter to me at all. I can think of paying big money to go to a concert for some particular band. And it was like, oh, this is going to be the ultimate experience. Now those same bands, they're still touring. They're still playing. These old codgers that can hardly walk onto the stage. And, they, and as I look at them, and they just look so pathetic. <laughs> and I think, man, I wouldn't walk across the street to go to their concert. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, man, going to their concert when they were younger, you smelled all that marijuana in the air. And, you know, now you go to their concert, and it's that Vicks VapoRub <laughs> smell. And it's, what do I want to go back there for? But understand this, if you go backwards in life, that's what you're doing. You're going back to something that isn't even going to be what it was. Because it was there to teach you that you needed God. That was what it was there for. It did what it was supposed to do. That's okay. That's good. Don't look back. Don't beat yourself up over sins of the past. But don't continue to live in that realm. And please don't be a hypocrite to cause other people to believe that somehow Christianity is just a a better form of the law. Oh, I hope I never hear you say, you know, yep, the Bible, it's got all the rules. If you live by this rule, no, no. Rules will only show you what you can't do. A relationship with Jesus Christ will allow you to enter into the reason you were created, the way in which God is going to give you everything you thought you were looking for. Oh, you might have thought that what you were doing was looking for happiness when you threw your life into working 80 hours a week to pursue business. Or when you bought that house or when you married that person or when you had those kids, you thought it was going to lead you into satisfaction. Don't feel bad that it didn't work. It's not supposed to work. Because what you were really looking for all that time was the Messiah, was the one who could come and forgive you of your sins. 
and take the burden off of you and allow you to walk in his freedom. That's the way you were designed to live. Anything short of that, anything other than that, those rules, all of that, okay, now we've got a system. That's going backwards. And it's going back into something that never worked for you. And it's never worked for anyone else. And in the Old Testament, it didn't work for the Jews, except it worked one thing. It showed you what you can't do. Don't forget that lesson. You can't do anything. You've tried. It doesn't work. And instead, bask in the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand, it's not you hanging on to try to be good. It's not what you can do for him. You know, we've often been oriented toward back in the days of JFK when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And we love that thought. Hey, I don't want the country to do anything for me. I want to do something for the country. But Jesus Christ is no JFK. And he, he doesn't say, hey, don't ask what I can do for you. Ask what you can do for me. Instead, what Jesus says is, don't worry about what you can do for me. Let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. And you just sit back, be still, shut up, know that I am God, and I'll do it. Your job is to receive what God wants to do in your life. Sounds too good to be true, but don't let the fingers of accusation and don't let the condemnation that is in this world cause you to come short of the freedom that comes from the gospel, the good news. Don't go backwards. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that this is real. It's not just some theological treatise on the different periods of history and all that. But we've all lived it, Lord. We've tried and we failed. There may be some people here who don't feel like they have failed enough. God, you know what to do. They're one bad break from understanding maybe that they can't do it. And in your faithfulness and in your love and in your gentleness and goodness, bring all of us back to the point or for the first time to the point where we understand we can't do it. We've fallen short. And as we see that, Lord, may we see your glory. May we see what flowed forth from the cross as you offered your forgiveness to all of us. And God, help us to walk with you in that freedom, in that accomplishment, in that maturity and finality. Not to move into another realm of condemnation, but to live in the freedom that you paid for with your own blood. Oh God, help us to stick with the gospel for ourselves and help us to communicate this with others as best we can, even as you told Nicodemus. Not here to condemn, but to save. Oh, help us to represent you accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand.